Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. I am John Schmelk. He is Lance Meadow. We're with you for the next hour to talk Giants football and take your calls at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. We'll try to monitor that channel throughout the show and get to some of your questions as the Giants are working on filling out the coaching staff of Joe Judge. And, of course, we have a lot of other things going around in the NFL as well. Lance, how are you? I am doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. So it's a very I've been busy a me- time, as you mentioned. I've been yes. in a meeting for the last 90 minutes. Any news break that I might have missed before I <laughs> ran in here, right before the show started, a couple minutes late? <laughs> no, I don't think you missed anything, so that's the uh, positive. Uh, I just got done with one show. Now I'm coming into another show, but no, nothing has transpired, even though I was paying close attention to the NFL over the last two hours. And, of course, uh, the big news this morning from a giant perspective uh, former Giants executive George yep. Young um, elected in that centennial class to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You saw the two coaches get notified of their induction over the weekend. Bill Which Cowher was great, and Jimmy Johnson. Way. Both moments are really, really cool. Yeah. I, I look like Jimmy Johnson was going to drop dead. <laughs> he could barely talk. <laughs> he could, yeah. He was lost for words. He was. But, but uh, it's we, nice to see them get caught up in the emotion. You know, it's not scripted. It's real life. On point. So I, I thought that was really nice. Absolutely. So George Young, um, we could talk about this briefly. Paul Dottino will do more with it tomorrow. Uh, he was obviously around the Giants a lot more than Lance and I were from 1979 to 1997 when George Young was basically the leader of the organization, worked with Bill Parcells and the other coaches over that period of time to try to bring and, and successfully bring two championships to the New York football Giants. So, Lance, he's somebody that came in. There was a lot of discord in the organization and, frankly, not a lot of success for a long period of time. And he helped, along with Bill Parcells, kind of bring everything together and, and turn the Giants um, and help them perform like a flagship franchise again. Yeah, he laid the foundation, John, as you just mentioned. He laid the foundation for Ernie Accorsi and Jerry Reese and what became of the championship teams that followed because... You know, the Giants were dealing with some ownership questions in terms of competitive balance. So, you know, he was really able to bring the key operating phrase stability to the franchise. I think this was long overdue. Yeah. You know, we've had Ernie Accorsi on this program multiple times. Of course, that's a mentor of Ernie, and he speaks very highly of him. I know that people were campaigning year in and year out. You brought up Paul Dottino. Sources have told me he has done three extra laps this morning <laughs> in his local neighborhood. Uh, if you do see a man running across the highway in New Jersey, you will know who I'm talking about. Who's gold like the sun. Yes, 100%. So it shouldn't be that difficult yes, for you to correct. point him out under the circumstances. But in all seriousness, I think it's nice that the league, in honor of the 100th anniversary, you know, started to recognize some individuals, John, that get sort of overlooked. And here's what I always say about the Hall of Fame. My biggest problem is, and a lot of these people who are going to be part of this centennial class, I didn't have the luxury of seeing. I didn't have the luxury of even hearing about them. You know, I I would have to do some significant research to make a case for them to get into the Hall of Fame. It's important, though, you know, as the generations pass by, that the league finds a way to preserve the achievements and accomplishments of individuals like George Young. Because as the new generations come along, who's going to campaign for any of these people, John? I'm certainly not going to be able to do because I wouldn't be doing it justice. You need individuals who were there, who were around these people, both as coaches and players. You know, that's why I don't want to get off on a whole tangent about the structure of the Hall of Fame, but in an ideal world, I feel the same way about baseball. 
I would like to see it be more varied in terms of the representatives that have a vote. I think writers are important, don't get me wrong, but I think former executives and former players, and I understand that there's going to be some biases, but you know what? Writers have biases too, John. So let's get a a bigger sample size with people that were impacting the game from internally just not necessarily externally. Yeah, I think players always get a fair shake um, in terms of consideration. People see them on TV. The writers covered them. And we know their exploits. You know their statistics. People saw them play. They go through the normal voting process. You know, the NFL has the rule that there's only X number of players that can get in every single year. So sometimes players have to wait, which is okay. No one is, you know... Is 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 um is just you know well, entitled have a specific number too every it, year. No one's yeah. entitled to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. That's fine. Um, but you're right. I think especially some of these assistant coaches. Like if you are one of the best offensive or defensive coordinators of all time, even if maybe you didn't make it to the head coach ranks, isn't that a position that's important enough to warrant a Hall of Fame consideration? General managers like George Young. And I'll go through the class really quickly. These are the um, Centennial class that got announced today on Good Morning Football. Um, a lot of older players and some executives, too. I mentioned the two coaches. I mentioned George Young. Here are some of the players. Jim Covert, an offensive tackle for the Bears from 1983 uh, to 1990. Winston Hill, an offensive tackle for the Jets from 1963 to 1976. Finishes his career with the Rams. Harold Carmichael, which is a name that Giant fans should be familiar with, wide receiver for the Eagles and the Cowboys from 1971 to 1984. Duke Slater, this was one of the first guys Detino covered, an offensive <laughs> tackle for the Milwaukee Badgers and that the, was some team, Rock by the way. Island uh, Independence. I remember him like it yesterday. From 1922 to 1925, then with the Chicago Cardinals from 1926 to 1931. Ed Sprinkle. A defensive end and a linebacker for the Bears from 1944 to 1955. Steve Sable, who obviously created NFL films. These are the types of contributors that Lance yeah. and I were referring to, um, who ran NFL films from 1964 to 2012, which really changed the way we not only see but hear football with their sights and sounds and packages like that. Alex Karras, a defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions from 1958 to 1970. Also starred in Webster. Correct. Also starred in Webster. Hey, that's, that's important. True. Yeah. I believe he also did some broadcasting, right, Alex? He did. Cass, he was a TV mistaken. sportscaster. That's yes, correct. Absolutely. Bobby Dillon, a safety for the Packers from 1952 to 1959. Donnie Shell, a safety for the Steelers from 74 to 87. Cliff Harris, someone that I'm sure Giant fans didn't like a whole lot, a really good safety for the Cowboys from 1970 to 1979. Max Speedy, which is a great name for a football player, an end for the Browns uh, from 46 to 52. And then Paul Tagliabue, who obviously was a commissioner of the NFL for a long time, 1989 to 2006. So those are the inductions. Most people played in the you know 60s All across to the, the 20s board, yeah. but there are a couple guys that played in the 80s too so just trying to I don't want to use the expression right some of the wrongs because they were legitimate votes for all these players they've all been eligible they've had their chance to get in they just simply haven't been voted in but it's just a, a way to recognize some people that hadn't been recognized in their opportunities to make the Hall of Fame prior to today. And, of course, Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson joining this list because yep. this rounded out the group that started over the course of the weekend. I think the unfortunate part of this is, you know, a number of the individuals that you listed are, are no longer with us. And right. the shame is 
while, yes, they're getting in, they just won't have the opportunity to really see it with their very own eyes. And, you know, I think any player, executive, coach, or contributor who has been previously inducted and has an opportunity to give a speech will tell you, you know, the emotions behind the festivities and that day. But at least the league, once again, with the 100th anniversary, is acknowledging some of these individuals that I think get overlooked for not just this year, but have been overlooked for decades. Because here's the thing. You know, Luke Keekley, for example, who announced his retirement surprisingly last night, he's going to be eligible and he's just going to push somebody else down because that's what happens, John, every single year. It's the same thing with baseball. The more and more these individuals retire, the more and more they get closer to eligibility to be inducted. Somebody who's been waiting seven or eight years is now saying to myself, oh, Derek Jeter now is eligible? Good luck. I mean, that's <laughs> now, baseball's basically a little, the philosophy. Baseball's a little bit tighter just in terms of how the voting happens. I think only, what, two guys or three guys got in last year? Yeah, well, because of the percentage of the vote. Well, correct. Point. You have to get, yeah. I think, over 75%, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, right? So, you're right. I think football, you run into more issues simply because there are more players on every team, and guys retire so often. You have coaches. There are more coaches. So, yeah, it's it's tough. So, we can obviously take your calls on George Young and your memories from him and kind of what he did for the Giants organization. When Paul hosts tomorrow, he'll have more on that. Then stay tuned. We should have a Giants Huddle podcast up either late tomorrow or early Friday. We will have Ronnie Corsi on talking about uh, George Young and what he did for the Giants organization, working with Bill Parcells to bring a couple of those titles in the 80s to the New York football Giants. No official word yet, Lance, and really not a ton of rumors either about additions to the Giants staff since you and Paul did your show yesterday. So we're happy to take your calls on that and, and, and what's going on around the NFL. There was one report that impacts the Giants staff. Adam Schefter reporting three hours ago that the Cowboys have hired former now Giants tight end coach Linda Wells as yep. their tight end coach under Mike McCarthy. If you want to connect the dots here, it's pretty simple. Linda was an assistant offensive line coach here when Ben McAdoo was here. Bingo. He was moved to yep. tight end by Pat Shermer, and I can guarantee you that Mike McCarthy asked his coaching friends, and Ben McAdoo certainly is one of them, guys that he might be, might be able to recommend, and I'm sure Ben McAdoo um, recommended Linda Wells for that position. So Linda's a great guy, good coach. I'm a big fan of him. Um, this kid goes to the same daycare as mine does here in, well, here, here in New Jersey. Re now we know why the alliance is strong, but go ahead. Really yeah. nice guy and, and, and a good coach, and we hope he does well in Dallas. Not too well now, but we hope he does well in Dallas. <laughs> so who's the better behaved child? Uh, definitely his. Okay. Well, at, at least we clarified that for this program. That. All right, hey. a monster. <laughs> uh, the, the other report, uh, 20 minutes ago, I want to bring up real quick. Yeah. Uh, Dan Duggan from The Athletic, again, not confirming this. It simply reports that out there. Um, said that off outside linebacker coach Mike Dawson, cornerback coach Everett Withers, and offensive assistant Ryan Roeder will not be retained per sources that from Dan Duggan. Well, Roeder is the longest standing assistant of that group. Uh, he's also been under a number of different head coaches here with the Giants. And listen, it's not necessarily surprising. It's just the unfortunate side of the business, John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you have a new head man in, he brings in his own people. And the turnover rate of coaching staffs is really up there with the 53-man roster, it I would really say. Is. It's truly amazing. Think about how many teams are going to be looking for offensive coordinators this offseason or have made changes. There was actually Field Yates of ESPN put up a great statistic that there's only going to be three teams entering 2020, John, that have a head coach with his same offensive and defensive coordinators for over two seasons. Just three teams entering this season. Wait, wait, say that one more time for me. Entering 2020, uh -huh. there will just be three teams that have the same offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators for at least two-plus seasons. Wow. 
try to that see if I can bring up the exact in, tweet because I quoted it yeah, a I'm, few days ago. I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, it was the Saints was one of them because you know Dennis Allen is uh, still the defensive coordinator under Sean Payton. Uh, let me try to find the Here we go. The bill, I found it. January okay. 12th. The Bills, Saints, and 49ers will okay. enter 2020 as the only teams to have the same head coach and coordinators for more than two full seasons. And that includes Kyle Shanahan, who's the Niners' offensive coordinator. Coaching continuity is rare in today's NFL. That's amazing. I can't believe it's that small. Yeah, it's insane. Well, because the Vikings made a change, too. They're going to uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So they might end the promoting. Well, the offensive, too. Kevin right, and obviously gone. Stefanski so both and Cleveland's are going to change. So, and the Patriots constantly have upheaval on their staff from year to year. So yeah, that is an amazing, amazing stat. And if, when you think of it, too... I mean, the Bills, their head coach is more or less their D.C., right? Does he call the plays for them, their head coach, the Bills, or is their D.C. No, no call Leslie the plays? Frazier. Frazier does there. call the plays. Yes. I believe Leslie I know, Frazier does call the okay, plays. Okay, I know he has the D.C. So. title. I didn't know who called plays there. And Sean Payton, obviously, he is a big hand in the offense for the Saints. And Correct. Then you have Shanahan, a big hand in the offense for the 49ers. So yeah. the other piece of news today I guess we should touch on really quickly just because it impacts the NFL and that's Luke Kuechly, who at just 28 years old yep. announces his retirement. I heard you and David Deal talking about this on your Syria show. And I just want to echo the sentiments that I think you made. I know it's only a seven, eight-year career. I don't care. This guy was the best middle linebacker in football for that entire span of time. And despite a few concussions, he was always on the field. To me, if I had a vote, and I don't, Luke Kuechly is a Hall of Famer. Great player. Great player. A fantastic player. Also, look at what he did in eight seasons, John. You're talking about a seven-time All-Pro, a seven-time Pro Bowler. Crazy. He led all linebackers since 2012 in interceptions, tackles, passes, defense. He's had at least 102 tackles in every single season. He's been durable. You brought up some of the concussions and injuries, but you know he's played at least 15 games in six of the eight seasons. I mean, he's up there statistically with the best of them, and I, it's always been a pleasure to watch him play football because of his versatility. When you see that a linebacker, correct, oh, so smart. When you see a linebacker be able to drop back in coverage and deflect a pass intended for a wide receiver, and he's out there and he's not lost. I mean, there's a reason why he meant so much to that defense. He's what every NFL team is looking for in a modern day middle linebacker. He can big enough and strong enough to stop the run, but it, excellent in coverage. He was just such a good coverage linebacker in that intermediate area in the middle of the field which is really just so hard to find it's just a, it's a tough skill you know p- players struggle with it and Luke Eakley was just unbelievable at it he was just so good and uh it'll be tough to not see him be in the NFL any longer and not a great start for Matt Rule no <laughs> Carolina. <I> <laughs> yeah <laughs> who would have thought they would have lost one of his best defensive weapons yeah a few days into the job and I should point out Luke Eakley basically said he doesn't think he can play the game the way he used to because of the wear and tear. He never mentioned specifically the concussion, so if people are assuming he's retiring because of that, I think they're jumping to conclusions a little bit. Clearly, there are some physical issues that he referenced in his retirement video, which is a little emotional. You should go and watch it. Just find that the Panthers have it posted up there. And, you know, sometimes guys just know when it's done. You could tell he still wanted to play, too. Because in the middle of that speech, he said, you know, I really still do want to play the game, but he's doesn't think he's able to play it the way he wants to play it. So, well, he had a torn labor for him. So, I, I think that's what you were alluding to, John. And you know, I don't know if necessarily that has continued to linger. But yeah, to classify it and just say it's concussions, I wouldn't go so far to make that assumption. I do agree with you. I, I took the sense that 
he still was itching to get on the field and run through a wall tomorrow, but I, I think just the rationale has set in that if you can't perform at the high level or there are just some physical restrictions at this point, it's best to walk away from the game, especially you know when you still can deal with the basic necessities of life. So, I mean, I commend him for making that decision. I and can't he's made relate plenty to of it. money. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, who am I to count his money, to your point? And I'm sure that he's invested wisely, but I, I just think it's difficult for any athlete, John, to, because of the itch to step back on the field, to just say, hey, you know what? I accomplished enough. I don't need to continue to play to worry about people that are going to put me under a microscope and say, well, if I played nine or ten seasons and I had this many more tackles and interceptions, I'd be a shoe-in to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame on the first ballot. I just don't think he's that silly to continue his career yeah. simply because of what other people think. 201-939-4513. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Mountain Cold Refreshment. Made to chill. Let's start with Mike in Manhattan. He will lead us off today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Mike. I think it's Mike in Atlanta, right? Oh, what did I say? I know you said Manhattan. I'm sorry. Mike in Atlanta. I how about, how think maybe that's Mike? why Mike is quiet. Oh, maybe that's the case. Mike in uh, Atlanta, yes. are you there? Yes. Hi, guys. How are you? I don't know why. I Do said it all right, Mike. Sorry, yeah. Mike. Go ahead. Uh, haven't called since the uh, start of training camp. I, well, I neither really is like Mike in Manhattan, so it's okay. But anyway, welcome back. But, uh, yes. One of the things I wanted to talk about when watching the Giants this year is uh, some position changes I think we need to make along the offensive line. And looking at the future of, of the offensive line, the way it stands as it is today, I would imagine that we do not have a, either one of our starting tackles for the 2021 season on the roster as it currently stands. Um, as you guys both know, in 2021, both Nate Soldier and Kevin Zeitler have some pretty – astronomical cap hits due to the restructuring of their contracts this year. And just in looking at the roster of what we have today and ignoring the draft and what's out there, um, what would you guys think about possibly moving either uh, Zeitner or Hernandez inside to center, where we obviously have a need now? And looking at guys uh, such as... Well, real Gates. quick, real quick, I, I can answer that question. I think Gates is a better... I was going to say that, too. Um, ...person that you might consider at center. I don't see Hernandez or Zeitler as centers, but they said they did work Nick Gates at center a bit this year. So if you're going to move somebody inside, I think that's the guy you consider before you consider Hernandez or Zeitler. Okay, even with Zeitler probably being gone after 2020. What what why would yeah, that what, impact what position he plays in 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 twenty twenty? And by well, the way, his cap hit in the center to be there long term with Daniel Jones rather than changing centers every year. Well, who's to say that Nick Gates can't take that position long term? Right. He's still a young guy. He's not up there in age. Okay, and uh, and, and by the way, Zeitler's Zeitler's cap hit in twenty twenty one isn't much different than it is in twenty twenty. So don't don't assume he's not going to be on the roster. Okay. Um, and what do you guys uh, think of Big George? I don't know if you were able to see anything at all with him last year from being on injured reserve, but a lot of the draft reviews actually had him being a uh, better build for guard than right tackle. Yeah, and, honestly, you know, he, he did just you see anything. Yeah, honestly, look, he, he I think he had two or three training camp practices, and then he yeah. had his concussion. And we never saw him again. So I'm not going to you know, make any judgments off what I saw of unpadded practices in the spring. I agree. I read the same thing. Some people think he might be better inside. Um, I think he's more of a power player than he is a guy that has really quick and agile feet. So I think you – look, the way I look at the offensive line is you always try the guy at tackle first. 
And if he can make it there, that's where he should stay because tackles are really hard to find in the NFL. But if he can't make it a tackle and he thinks he's going to be better at guard, then by all means, slide him inside. And remember, if you're the eighth or the ninth offensive lineman on the roster, you have to play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he's not in contention to be a starter, and as it appears right now, I still think it's a long shot for him to take over in a starting job. Doesn't mean he's not going to make the roster. It's smart if the Giants prepare him for multiple positions. But, you know, going back to what John said, he got hurt very early in camp. And then, you know, towards the tail end of the season, when they sort of allowed him to start doing work, by that time, remember, practices are closed off to the public and the media so it's really impossible to get a good grasp on you know where he would pick up starting with this new coaching staff remember the new coaching staff keep in mind Mike could have a completely different perspective from the previous coaching staff in terms of where he is strong in terms of lining up whether it be a guard and tackle so don't overlook that too you're gonna have some new voices and new faces weighing in now yeah well I'm hoping uh Joe Judge can uh work the magic with our offensive line that the Patriots were able to work with their line for a number of years. Um, well, Mike, remember, Mike, question. remember, real quick, the reason the Patriots are able to do what they do with their offensive line is because Tom Brady's so good at getting the ball out quickly. That's why they're able to do what they do up there. It's not magic with the offensive line. It's magic called Tom Brady. Yeah. He helps the offensive line immensely. Yep. Yeah. Um, my last question has to do, uh, again, with Evan Ingram. I, I talked about him last year with you guys as far as you know, moving him out to wide receiver. Um, are we at that point with Evan Ingram now that it's, we have to finally try that? And you know, does he have the ability to run the route tree? No, why? Yeah. Why? Mike, why? Why is it better to have him at wide receiver? Well, I think the last three years has proven he can't handle the wear of tear of being inside a tight end. Well, but Mike, you don't you, – go ahead. No, 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 no. Real quick, Mike. The guy has soft tissue injuries. These are hamstrings and things like that. Why is the wear and tear in the hamstring worse at tight end than it is at wide receiver? If anything, you're running more at wide receiver, so the hamstring injuries would be worse. Yeah, and the knee issue, too, is yeah. another thing. He could or easily, the foot. Yeah, he could sustain that as a wide receiver. You're not going to put him in bubble wrap on the outside just because he lines up as a wide receiver, Mike. I never understand this rationale of moving him to a new position because you think that's going to protect him health-wise. It, it just, uh, what studies have been proven that tight ends who have made the transition to wide receiver it's wind like, up playing six or seven more years yes, of football? It's not like he has I, shoulder injuries yeah. or anything that, that, that comes from excess of physical contact. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's a lot easier to handle the hits from the smaller cornerbacks and safeties than it is getting tied up with defensive linemen and linebackers. And it hasn't worked at tight end. You guys have to admit, it hasn't worked. In what way hasn't it worked? When he's played and been on the field at tight end, he's been extremely productive as a receiver. Because he's only been productive as a receiver. He makes five or six good plays a year, but he disappears for long stretches. And when he he's not, no 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 when, when, if you look if you look at his per game basis receptions and yards he's one of the most protect productive receiving tight ends in the league if you just look at his if you just look at his receiving ability yeah i think the tight the giants need a tight end though that's guaranteed to catch Six to seven balls every game. Wait, wait, time out, 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 time out. If you catch six to seven balls every game, that's one hundred and five catches for the season. How many tight ends catch a hundred balls a year, Mike? Okay, let's say five to six. But the point is, okay, so that's okay, so that's ninety. That's ninety. How many tight ends catch ninety balls a year? Probably five to six. Okay, so how are you going to get one of those guys? Well, you either draft them or you develop them 
when we drafted Evan Ingram in the first round, you would expect that's what you were going to get. Otherwise, he shouldn't have been the pick. When Ev- when, when Ryan Ramsdick instead. When when Evan Ingram got hurt, do you know how many receptions he was on pace for? Yeah, he was on pace for a career year this year, about around eighty I, to ninety. I don't care what he's on pace for because he's gotten hurt every year. Yes, what he's but proven is that he gets hurt every year. Well, but listen, no, but it's like, fair. It's fine. Yeah, it's fair to say, Mike, that there's some durability issues. I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but no argument. I, I don't think changing positions removes the durability question marks or preserves him better. Right, and also, even though he's been playing tight end. They have allowed him to run sort of as a wide receiver. And when healthy, I think he's proven he can be an extremely productive target within this offense. I I don't think that's a question. I I think to your point, it's just a matter of you want to see it more consistently for 15 and 16 games. So do we. And the only thing that's held him back is because, unfortunately, he's wound up on IR or he's missed a few weeks. But I don't think the position has anything to do with holding him back. He can be productive. It's just a matter of him avoiding the injury bug. And, for example... As far as the draft is concerned, if you would have looked at his Ole Miss scouting report, you would have foreseen that he would have been dealing with so many injuries over the first few seasons of his NFL career? Mike, is that what you're telling me? Because you said they shouldn't have taken him in the first round. So that means that you would have had to have the foresight to realize he would have been as much as banged up as he was. And by the way, Ryan Ramchick, and by the way, he would have been a great draft pick, and we talked about him a lot on the show, Mike. I know you're a listener. You know that. He was coming off hip surgery that year and only had one year of production in Wisconsin. So there was much bigger injury risk with Ramchick that year than there was with Ingram. Yeah, I'll agree to that, but tackle was a bigger need back then than a tight end. Well, that's fine. Look, I agree. Tackle was a bigger need, but remember, you're not drafting a position. You're drafting a player. Yes. Well, I know there's other callers on the line will agree to disagree about Mr. Ingram. No, that's That's all good. Thank you, Mike. Well, and and I also think— Good stuff, buddy. Have a great day. Keep this in mind also. Evan Ingram is still on a rookie contract, so there's value there. You don't just get rid of players on rookie contracts because for the productivity that he has, assuming that he could stay healthy, it's still something that's not stressing out the salary cap. That's number one. Number two, I was going to add, John, I actually was very impressed with what Caden Smith showed down the stretch of the season. And we'll see what the new coaching staff thinks of him. If you had Caden Smith and Evan Ingram, I mean, I, I think he could do a lot worse, especially if Caden is willing to be a blocker, which he proved to. So you can have them both on the field, and Evan can be a tight end still, but be more of a run router guy as opposed to staying back and blocking. And as you said, a couple things to add to that. He was lined up detached from the line of scrimmage a lot anyway. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, you brought up his stats right there. I'm cheating off your computer sure. screen. He had 44 catches last year for 467 yards in eight games. You want to project that to a full season? 88 catches, nearly 1,000 yards. Which would have been a career year. Yes, and by the way, in six touchdowns. That's darn good. So, again, we're not arguing that he needs to stay healthy. No one knows that more than Evan. It frustrates the hell out of him that he's unable to stay on the field. Yeah. But, again, moving the wide receiver is not going to solve hamstring pulls, foot injuries, or knee problems. I mean, one has nothing to do with the other. It's not like he's had plays where he's blocking, some guy falls down and rolls him while he's blocking in line. That's not the stuff what's gotten him here. It hasn't. It's all actually been when he's been running routes out in the field. That's how he has either aggravated an injury, John, or sustained an injury. Bingo. So that is the facts. And here's my opinion. What makes Evan Ingram valuable, Lance, is that he is a mismatch as a tight end. And he has, by the way, improved as a blocker. He's never going to be a guy that you're going to run behind at the point of attack, but he's learned the technique to seal people off and get in the way and do those type of small things with angles to be an average tight end blocker in, in the NFL. That's what he is. And that's fine. 
you don't need to have Mark Bavaro there a tight end for you. There aren't many tight ends. There aren't a lot of George Kittles out there, okay? These guys don't grow on trees. You can't say, you know a guy that guaranteed to have 90 catches. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, of course it would. How many resources do you want to dedicate to obtaining such a player when you have a guy that if he's healthy and on a rookie contract is capable of doing exactly what you want him to do? Plus, I also think it's silly to say I want a guy that catches 90. Well, what happens if opportunities that Engram presents opens up things for Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate, and maybe there's not a balance in terms of targets? There's things also that he does when he doesn't get the football. That's an important aspect. And let's be honest, and we talked about this last year, and now you have Darius Slayton in the mix too. So assuming all these guys are going to be back, you have a roster that features Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, who's going to catch a lot of balls, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate. There might not be one guy in the roster that catches 90 balls next year with all the different targets Daniel Jones will have to throw the ball to. Yeah, and that's, and that's not, not a bad thing. Either. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. I'm in agreement with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I wouldn't get too caught up in the numbers. Plus, you know, here's another way to look at it. Look across the NFL. You brought up there's probably maybe five or six guys with 90 catches, and not everybody's George Kittle, but, you know, San Francisco also has a number of other tight ends that also enables Kittle to not have to be on every single down a blocker. So, you know, in today's NFL, you need multiple tight ends. Baltimore, which I know lost. Baltimore used three tight ends this season, okay? Then you look at Philadelphia. Philadelphia probably had two tight ends on the field much more so than any other team this year because of the injuries with Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Doesn't help that both those guys are really good and they want them on the field too. 100%. Yes, there's a reason to put the two tight ends, but I would not classify those two as the greatest tight end blockers in today's NFL. Goddard's been really good, but Ertz is not known for his blocking. Well, He's so, fine, but yeah. he's, he's, not, he's nothing special. So you have Goddard then stay in when Zach Ertz goes out and runs around. What's the matter? I mean, I'm not telling you any new concepts that are earth-shattering. I'm with you. In today's NFL. Let's go to Bruno in Atlanta. He's up next. Hey, Bruno. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, boys? Thanks for taking my call. What's up? Uh, uh, not much. Just wanted to talk about the safety position. I think sure. Antoine Bethea has, has, you know, he was probably a good fit for James Betcher's defense, but he's been a disappointment with the Giants. I think he has one year remaining on his contract. I would have to check his contract status, but go ahead. Yeah, so as far as the safety position, you know, we weren't willing to pay Landon Collins, who I loved as a run defender. He was solid. That's indisputable. But he was not good in coverage, and I think he, we could still see that happening in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a good coverage safety. And, and there, by, and by the way, real of, quick, Bethay does have – he signed a two-year deal, but my, I imagine that's probably a deal that's pretty easy to get out of if the team wants to this offseason. Yeah. You know, the guy's 35 years old. I was looking at, you know, and obviously it's it's the offseason. Things are slow. Us fans, all we got is like pro football focus to look at, at rankings and whatnot. So I was looking at PFF, uh, the different, uh, you know, 50 best free agents and, and some of the safeties that are on that list. Um, Carl Joseph for the Raiders, you know, he might come cheap. He's 26. I think he has an injury, but he's, he's injury history. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Devin Honestly? McCarty, he was. He was number fifteen, I think. He's thirty-two older, but he's very versatile. Bruno, he I gotta be defense. I gotta be honest with you. I think your two starting safeties are on the roster. You you have Jabril Peppers and Julian Love. Let's go. I think that's one of the that's one of the positions I'm actually very comfortable at on defense. I'm okay. more than happy to go into to go into next year with Julian Love and Jabril Peppers as my two starting safeties. I'm good with that. I mean, the well, only thing well, I would argue is maybe a little depth if you move Love to slot at times. You sure. may just want, you know, I have another third That's safety Absolutely. to uh, maneuver. I don't yeah. think you have to go and spend on a big-time free agent no. at the position, yeah. though. I would agree right. with that. No, and that, that's, I was kind of thinking, you know, Julian Love, obviously, but, but because we're, we're going to have versatile pieces on defense, 
Julian Love can cover that slot or bounce back to safety. Sure. So my thought was was a guy that might come cheap was that Carl Joseph, Devin McCarty. He's a free agent. Um, and then Anthony Harris on the Vikings, that dude's a beast, yeah. 28 years old, but he's going to probably be a big a big contract. But just the middle of our defense is, is so weak. Tight ends just are constantly tearing it up. Zach Ertz, I mean, good Lord, Jason Witten came back from retirement and, and scored two touchdowns on us. So, um, you know, Isaiah Simmons would be a dream in the middle of the defense and then just definitely shoring up the safety position. But, yeah, what, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on, on this? I mean, you kind of covered it, but, but, yeah, I mean, the safety position maybe, you know, I don't know if Grant Haley's the answer in the slot. Is Julian Love the guy there? Or uh, Ballantyne. I don't think he played much in the slot, did he? Uh, he, he didn't in college, but he was asked to do at the end of last year, and it didn't go that well. And remember, with yeah. a new defensive coordinator comes a new philosophy once again. I'm going to continue to repeat it. Yep. You know, we're going also keep in mind on the knowledge, Bruno, of how the previous coaching staff utilized this personnel. Who's to say that new personnel from the coaching staff says, you know what, I want to try this guy out in a different position. That could very well happen this offseason. Right, right, right. Yeah, well... Um... My thanks uh, to George Young for what he did for this team. Again, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Our Giants ownership has, has put people in the right place. We can't win every year. I think this is a, a downtime for us Giant fans where we just got to stick with Big Blue, Big Blue and, and look forward to the, the good times to come. Thank you, Bruno. Hi, Bruno. Appreciate the, Appreciate call, the call. Good stuff. I think a secondary is a little bit tricky this offseason, Lance, because I think Michael Thomas is a free agent, too, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't think he's under contract. You see, you may be right. Double-check that. So that's another guy at safety you'll have to figure out. You mentioned Antoine Bethea. See, that's the perfect third safety, by the way. Absolutely. Plays because he also does special teams. teams. Any good yeah, third safety, that's the you can exact trust him. He's yeah. always in the yeah. right spot. I agree. I think, he, I, to me, he feels like a... Bill Belichick, Joe Judge type of player. He is a free agent because he signed a two-year deal in 2000. That's what I thought. So that's a guy I think you'd like to bring back because he could do so many different things. Um, you know, They love Matthew Slater down there. Michael Thomas can be that type of guy. Obviously, Slater is a receiver and special teams guy, but you know, same type of thing. Cody Cord fall into that category too, in yeah. my opinion. But at safety, I feel good. I think Peppers and Love are both versatile to play deep and short which allows you to then kind of rotate them based on what you want to do. You can disguise things a little bit because they don't have to play specific positions. We saw Love make some nice tackles. We know he can cover a former cornerback at Notre Dame. And Jabril Peppers, I think, can do both too. So I like those two guys as a safety unit. I really do. I think it works. So, yeah, I think you add some depth. Maybe bring back Michael Thomas. You want to draft somebody in the mid-rounds. Never a bad idea. But I don't think that... Look, Giants have a lot of needs this offseason. Safety, to me, is not on top of that list. Yeah, and Anthony Harris, who is probably the most attractive name that the last caller brought up, I think is going to demand some big money. I also think the Vikings are going to want to do everything they can to keep him with Harrison Smith, who's their other great safety. And I just don't know if the Giants, who, yes, will have some flexibility in the cap if you want to prioritize spending money at a position, to your point, where you at least have on paper what appears to be two guys that can start. Michael Thomas realistically could come back. I think Joe Judge probably is going to value bringing him back based on what think, you just yeah. ran through mm -hmm. and some of the players that he utilized in New England. So, yeah, I think when it comes to free agency, the goal is to utilize the money to complement the youth movement. There's a lot of youth back there. I think the last thing I want to do, John, is now bring in veterans who are going to take away reps from these young guys who you invested valuable picks in. I do think cornerback's a little bit of a different story, though, because we saw a lot of these young guys get playing time as rookies, and the results were not great. Now, first-year cornerbacks, that's what happens. It's a t really tough position for a rookie to play. So that's not to say, and I'm counting 
Sam Beal's a rookie because he missed his whole rookie year. Yeah, he should. And it was a redshirt year. Correct. So you shouldn't write these guys off after one year, but at the same time, I think it's also dangerous to just assume that they are going to take a big jump and get better. So I do think you have to bring in some guys at that position to provide competition, to be veteran leaders in the room, to help those young guys along too. And quite frankly, if these veterans you bring in are better, they should play. And I think the one position he pointed out that I would like the team to try to pinpoint in free agency that usually isn't that expensive is slot corner. Because this year, Lance, whether it was Grant Haley or Corey Ballantyne, teams attack that slot cornerback position an awful lot. And I think you're asking a lot from Corey Ballantyne, a guy who had never played the slot in college, a Division II from Washburn, to come in and then play slot for you, and that's his really first action at the NFL level. I really think that was asking a lot. I think if he gets more work at it, he can certainly get better at that spot and, and become a slot corner at some point. But I think to ask for the results that early was asking a little bit much. So I do think you need to bring in some guys at cornerback. And I don't think necessarily in the draft. Maybe one. But I think you have to bring in some veterans back there to, to support and provide some competition, quite frankly, for these younger guys who have to prove now to a new coach that they belong to be on the field. Well, and remember, there have been some slot corners that have been making some good money on the market because it's essentially a starting position. Bryce Callahan, for example, absolutely. who went with Vic Fangio to Denver when he did a nice job with Chicago two seasons ago. I think you make a very valid point. Here's another thing that I think would add another layer to what you're talking about. You know, I keep talking about there's a new coaching staff, and we focus on Daniel Jones, may or may not have to adapt to a new offense, and there's always focus on the quarterback. Still very quiet on the offensive coordinator front, by the way. Correct, and and I think part of that is because there's a lot of teams, once again, are looking for OC, so there's some competition across the board. But there's going to be now all of these young corners. John, they're going to have to learn a new defense. So that's two defensive schemes in the span of two seasons in their NFL career. Notice nobody's really talking about that. Now, part of the storyline. The good part about that is that there's only so many coverages you can play. So it's not like an offense where you're learning like this playbook that's like that thick, right? I mean, I'm not going to say it's as simple as, oh, go play man, go play zone. There's more to it than that, obviously. Technique, leverage, how are you, where are you forcing help, things like that. But Patrick Graham, again, this is simply based on what was done when he was the D.C. in Miami. Now, he was the play caller there. Flores, the head coach, is a former defensive coordinator. So we don't know how much of that is Flores, how much is Graham. And again, the Graham news is not official to the Giants. We're simply going that based off of reports. I want to make that clear. We're not making the connection. We're simply talking about what other people have reported. They played a ton of man-to-man defense. And that fits what DeAndre Baker did in college. That fits what Sam Beal's body type is designed to do. So I do think from that perspective, assuming he does bring that man-to-man style, which quite frankly is what all these former Patriot coaches do. Matt Patricia was a huge man-to-man guy this year. They did it in New England, and Patrick Jam and and, and Flores did that in Miami. So I think it's a fairly safe assumption we're going to see a lot of man-to-man defense, so that shouldn't be that big of adjustment for some of those young cornerbacks. No, I think that's an excellent point. I just look at it that, you know, sometimes we were talking about this season, how it took the first half for a lot of these guys yeah. to get comfortable. Now, part of it also was they were adjusting to life in the NFL. Bingo. On top of the scheme. Bingo. So I think that was a big part of it. The good news is you're not adjusting to life in the NFL this offseason. You've already adjusted. You also don't have Hopefully. to worry about... <laughs> correct. You hope so. You don't have to worry about preparing for the combine or yep. preparing for all of these other things that just think about take 
and add additional stress to the plate of incoming prospects. So I think that hopefully will alleviate some of the pressure that was on some of these young corners and safeties that were welcomed into the Giants roster this past season. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. He's up next. Hey, Coach. Hey, how you doing, John and Lance? Good to talk to you, Coach. What's up? All right, Coach. Uh, I just got a. I have a quick thing to say, but I got a comment. You guys are a hundred percent right on a couple of phone calls you just got. Um, the the thing on um, Ingram, I don't understand why people want him to play receiver. I I can't figure that out. I think what they probably need to see is them get a little more creative with Ingram. If you need to flex them out every now and then, flex them out. Maybe that's what people should probably be saying. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, and in the years that I've been watching them, I only saw saw Sherman get created once uh, with him. Where they, I don't know if you guys remember. I can't remember the game they were playing, but they moved him to fullback, and they did a play action where he went right down the scene. Yep, I do remember that. Excuse me? Yes, yeah, yeah, I... I do recall that play. I think that was actually last season, right? I don't think that was this year. I think that was 2018, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're correct. It wasn't this year. It was last year. Right. It was the year before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's first year as head coach. Yep. And that was very creative the way they did that because he ended up um, open, wide open down the seams. So, like, if you if he's if you got somebody in a base, and a lot of times the base is with uh, in a nickel, but if you can get them in four linebackers. Maybe you can flex him out. You can get creative where you're matching him up with linebackers. I don't know how he'll do against corners. I, I mean, I'm not for sure. But as a receiver, I don't know if route running, he's that good to do that. But I like him at tight end, personally. Yeah, and look, um, it's, look, Coach Marvin, I've said this a million times. The NFL is all about creating mismatches. And Evan Ingram at tight end is a mismatch. At wide receiver... I don't think nearly as much. Yeah, and, you're, and you're correct. And I think that's all football, no matter what level you are. Of course. Yeah. It's about matching up against somebody. In any sport, you're playing basketball, it's matchups. And you see it in baseball as far as, far as pitchers matching to hitters. And, and you're correct. It's about matchups, and that's what it's about. Yep, absolutely. Um, and you made the comment about the safety. I like love. I said give it to love, and, and I wouldn't mind them drafting uh, Isaiah Simmons and you can move him around any way you want to move him around. And uh, that'll be a plus to the secondary or the linebacking course, especially matching up with the problems we have with tight ends. This guy can match up with outside receivers um, slot. Imagine him. Ma- and he matched up well um, in the championship game with uh, Moss. Uh, Moss scored touchdowns. That I don't think Simmons was on those coverages on those touchdowns, but he matched up well with Moss in that game. Um, so I, I, I think uh, we, we have the safety. I agree with you, John. Those safeties are on that team. you got to let them play. Let those young guys play. Yeah, and well, especially they, since both of them are on rookie contracts, too. I mean, that's uh, another big reason why you want to see them develop and let them play for the sake of the right. salary cap. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the other thing is uh, I, used to, I was working for the Department of Justice Law Enforcement. I retired, and I have a friend, and he listens to the show sometimes. I don't know if he's listening that day. His name is Yasin. He works for the government also. Mm-hmm. And I just want to congratulate Yasin because his uncle, Harold Carmichael, just was announced oh, as a very nice. thing. A very, you know, happy for their family. Yeah, absolutely. It's a small world. It's amazing. Wow, that's quite a connection. Yeah, Congratulations yeah, to them. Ama- yeah, yeah, it is amazing. I was surprised that was his nephew. Yeah. I, I <laughs> 
but I never put them together, and it's his uncle, and that's his uncle. Uh, my last comment is uh, it, Lance came up with an incredible uh, stat when you were saying that the assistant coaches, there's only three teams that have them. Yeah, that was uh, a field Yates of ESPN who I was referencing that tweet. Correct. Three teams where they've had a head coach and a coordinators in place for more than two seasons entering 2020. That is incredible. Yeah, it I, is I, indeed. I, I it's a great even, stat. I didn't even know anything like that. That's a the number was that way. Yeah. Uh, but my last comment, I know it doesn't have anything to do with y'all, but I, it, with that much turnaround in the coordinators, I still would like to see uh, more minorities um, get coordinators opportunities. And I think the NFL needs to look at that. If that number, what you just said, is what it is, I can't understand why that number's not better. So, Thank you, Coach. Leave it as that, guys. Take Appreciate it. Right, Thank coach. you very much. Appreciate Remember, John Mara was asked about that the other day, and he talked about the NFL is taking it very seriously, and they're going to maybe change some of those practices to make sure uh, more minority candidates do get in the coaching pipeline. So, again, it's not necessarily worrying about what happens at the top. You have to worry about, too, of what's happening below so the, so the good diversity of people are kind of moving up that pipeline. Well, I think you hit it right in the nose. Actually, I was listening to Kevin Stefanski's introductory presser in Cleveland. He was asked about the same thing, and he said – in Minnesota, they were hiring minority offensive assistants, offensive quality to control, to groom like them that. Yep. so that they can learn how to be a coach, oversee a team. And he said he was going to do the same thing in Cleveland. So, yeah, I don't think enough focus, John, is on that. It's important, just like you have player development. You don't just sign a guy and throw him in as a starter. Right. So, to me, it's the lower levels actually of coaching staffs and front offices that I think there needs to be more focus on, much more so than, you know, the coordinators and yeah, so Yeah, and I forth. think, and everyone, too, always talks about the player angle. Like, there's, you know, the, 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 the league is so minority-heavy from a player perspective, but coaching, not so much. I think you look at it, a lot of these players, when they retire, yeah, they don't they, have much interest in doing coaching, folks. So yep. a lot of these guys that are coaches are guys that play college football and just weren't talented enough, quite frankly, to make it into the NFL and they decide to make that their career. It's a lot easier when you come out of college to take a job that doesn't pay you a whole lot and you have to work a bajillion hours. You're willing to pay those dues if you're a kid right out of college looking looking for a career. You're not so much willing to, to, to pay those dues and, and do that stuff if you're coming off an NFL career. So I think it's a different pool of candidates that you're trying to develop from than necessarily the former NFL player pool. You know yeah, what I'm well, saying? And it also goes back to, I don't want to get on the tangent, we got a lot of calls, but what I also said, there are a lot of great players who have played this game. It's hard for them to relate to everybody on the roster. Right. That's another reason why I think maybe they don't necessarily want to get into coaching. And of course, the Giants have a good history with this too. You had Jerry Reese is the general manager. Below him, you had Mark Ross, who was his number two in the general manager position for a while. And now, again, if reports are correct, Thomas Begay and Patrick Graham are both going to be coordinators on his staff. So let's go to Doug in Rochester. He's up next. Hey, Doug. Hey, what's going on, folks? What's up, bud? Hey, I missed out earlier. You said um, um, uh, Wells went to the uh, Dallas Cowboys, Coach Wells? Yes, that's correct. And then you said there was three coaches, uh, Lawson and defensive line coach, they, they're not coming back? Uh, is that what you were talking about? There was a report out there that those three would not be retained, yes, again, but we're not confirming that. Okay, um, but October, the, uh, I think I've seen, uh, uh, I've got a text that he he's returning the receiver coach, right? Ty Tobert, that's correct. That's yeah. also been okay, reported, yeah. yes. Okay, y'all, you By him. talk about Evan True, Ingram. he tweeted like out. Evan yeah. Ingram, okay, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you a question. How many years has he been playing? Six? Who's that? I'm sorry, <laughs> say that again. Evan Ingram, how, how many years? Three. Three. 
three. He's played three years. 2017 was year one. So this is his fourth year coming up. Yes, correct. Okay, so he was hurt each three of the years, right? Uh, he played 15 games one year, eight another, and then I think 12 or so in the third, something like that. Okay, well, I'm, I'm in that ballpark, yeah. Um, Caden um, Smith is um, looking very promising. Yeah, 15, 11, okay. and eight. He, he is looking, I'm not, I'm, he's looking very promising. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think Joe Judge is going to look at a player that has a hard time staying on the field. You know, the, Evan Heaton fits that. You know, he has a hard time staying on the field. I think Joe Judge, that's going to be real concerned with him. Well, you know what, That's I, I understand what you're saying, Doug, but Rob Gronkowski missed some games for the Patriots over the oh, years. Yeah. Guess what? When he was healthy, though, he was a mismatch just like Evan Ingram, and they used him to death up there in New England. So Joe Judge, based on his experience in New England with game-changing tight ends, will understand the value of having someone like Evan Ingram at the position that really you can't cover one-on-one without providing a mismatch opportunity. And then okay, when Gronkowski well, wasn't on the field, it changed the dynamics. On the uprising, and this guy could block and, and can catch him, I mean, it's going to be a problem there to me, you know, a hard you know, decision to make, you know. So, I don't know. I'll just, I'll, 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 but I want to talk something about John and I'll move right along. You, you said something about the slot back, you know. I want to know if it's true. Did John sign Grant Haley to a one-year deal? Uh, I'm, the Giants have not announced any contract extension for Grant Haley. You know, I, I would I would suggest, Doug, you can Google this stuff and you can get that information just as easily on Google as you can calling us. Okay, well, I just want to know what's the truth because, you know, there's stuff coming in. And uh, I see that coming across my phone. Well, Grant Haley, well, here's the deal with Grant Haley. When you have an undrafted free agent like that, you kind of have to sign him to one-year contracts going along. But there are things called like exclusive rights contracts where he's really not free to sign with other teams. So he kind of has to come back unless the Giants don't want him to. So that's how undrafted free agents' contracts work as they go along in the first four years of their career. Oh, okay, so that that's where it goes. Okay, so I mean, I'm pretty sure saying that to me, you know, because I, I didn't know why they signed him to a one-year deal, and um, he just explained it. So uh, thanks a lot, fellas. You know, all right, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Just uh, call, two quick things here. First of all, there's no decision to be made for Evan Ingram. He's on a rookie contract once again. I can't emphasize that enough. Fourth and year's guaranteed for the fifth-year option. Yes, that's what every first-round pick the structure of the deal is. A four-year deal and there's a fifth-year option. So yes, the Giants are going to eventually have to make a decision whether or not they want to pick up the fifth-year option, but he's entering year four, so that there's nothing to decide in terms of the contract. And the reason why guys like Grant Hanley and some undrafted players, as you mentioned... But I'm sorry, yeah. when I say guaranteed, the, the money's not fully guaranteed necessarily, but he's under contract is the point. The money is there. Yeah, and from the team, there's flexibility, meaning right. if they are content to keep him on that deal and they like the terms of the additional year, they could pick up the fifth-year option. Or, you know, they could also restructure the deal and give him an extension. It's not as if, you know, they're tied to that. It's just the whole point of drafting a guy in the first round, John, is you know you could potentially have them under your control for five years before you have to worry about a new contract. And here's the thing about Evan Ingram. Remember, folks, he could have shut it down and gotten surgery on that foot right away when he got the injury. He tried to come back and play through it, so it's not like he's not trying to play through these injuries. Just something to keep in mind. All right, we got three callers left. Uh, We're going to go a little bit over. That's fine. We'll get him in, and then we'll say goodbye on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's go to Lance's favorite caller, Charlie in Portland, Maine. Hi, Chuckles. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Could could be better, but anyway. 
<laughs> yes. One thing is you were talking about Slater, special teams guy, blah, 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 and the Patriots, you know, really might like uh, Thomas. But, you know, they didn't use Slater as a wide receiver about ever. He was a special teams guy. Yeah, that's guy. true. Well, he, he, he did play wide receiver a little bit earlier in his career. But, yes, he was yeah. primarily a special Michael teams guy. Michael Thomas is a terrible safety. He made a couple of good tackles. That's what a special teams player does. But he can't cover anybody. He is not our third safety. And I think our new coach will realize this guy is a special teamer, no doubt. Bring him back for that. But he is a weakness. Okay, fine, Charlie. Backup, backup safety. Yeah, backup safety. Call, I mean, call, uh, call him whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, he's always been looked at as a primary special teamer. It's the same thing. How many snaps did Cody Core get at wide receiver last year? I'm not, I, Was I he not valuable? Cody Core. I'm talking about. Well, no, no, no but no. About, I'm using like, the Michael Thomas parallel to say there are people that are on the 53-man uh, roster, and sometimes you just say, "Hey, you know what? Your purpose is to go out and make special teams plays, and then you're yeah, a security uh, blanket uh, in the event we need you in another capacity." And Charlie, Michael yeah. Thomas, as you mentioned, is a good tackler. Then you play him closer to the line of scrimmage. You don't ask him to cover a whole lot. Remember, this team is not going to put guys into positions that they can't succeed at. Well, how many times did you see Thomas looking at some other player, going, "How come you didn't have?" come you didn't have uh yeah and and, and and charlie by the way i hate to tell you usually michael thomas was right in those situations keep in mind who he was playing back there with in terms of experience a lot of young guys well he was also playing with uh what's his face uh 35 year old uh but anyway and the other thing is i'm glad that caller called about ingram yeah, i'm sure you now, are you can call him whatever you want you call him the tight end you call him wide receiver the thing is the guy is a catcher he catches the ball he's not a blocker why don't you use him in the slot they he's do. Like, what is he? 6'4", 6'5"? They do and use him in the slot. Smirk on him? They huh? do use him in the slot. No, use him a lot more in the slot. They don't use him enough. I mean, they got to use this, utilize this guy's talent, and I'm hoping that Joey Special will do that. Charlie, he was, he, he was on pace for 90 catches yeah. for 1,000 yards. How much more do you want the man to do? You keep saying that, John, but he doesn't play. Well, we well, yeah, because we're, that has nothing to do with how you use him. Charlie, it has nothing to do with how you use him. He gets hurt. I can't help that. But as a tight end, he's on pace for 90 catches and 1,000 yards. What else do you want from the guy? I want him to stay on the field, and I want them to utilize his strength. They do! <laughs> they do but utilize his strength. He, you Nitty? <laughs> See, you wanted to take his phone call, so I'm just sitting back as a spectator <laughs> under these circumstances. You but want to enter the I'm dark side, say, this is what you get. Let me say one thing. If, if, if Mr. Judd does this and actually makes him a wide receiver, I want you guys to apologize to me for the last three years saying that's what he should be. Yeah, well, I'm also, that, I'm also still happens. waiting for Will Beattie to get a contract with another team, too. So hey, well, re rest assured, I'm not too worried about having to apologize <laughs> for you, Charlie. And, and, and I'm waiting for Anthony yeah. Dobway to be yeah. a starting well, wide receiver for the Falcons, too. Well, and you know what? I, I completely disagree. What, what I think you're caught up in, Charlie, too much is the fact that we're not disputing the fact that he has struggled to stay healthy. But struggling to stay healthy has nothing to do with the the production and what he's brought to the table when healthy. 
You're sort of mixing the both up. What Correct. John was presenting was a hypothetical, which is that if you took Evan Ingram's productivity in the early part of the season and you assume that he did stay healthy, he was on pace for a career year. And as far as moving him around, do you remember that touchdown start of the second half against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they ran, what was it, a screen play, and then he ran all the way up the left sideline past the, def- the defense? That was good blocking, don't get me wrong, on the field. You know, Don't tell me they didn't move him around. I, I think that's a misread of what he did in the early stages of the season. Would you like the numbers? Sure, I'd love to have them. Yeah, so let's hear them. Evan Ingram lined up in line 290 times over the course of eight games this year, okay? He lined up in the slot 124 times, and he lined up out wide as a wide receiver 40 times. So, Charlie, you're looking at over 20 snaps per game where he was lined up in the slot or at wide receiver. Did you say he lined um, up more in the slot than outside? Is yes, that right? I, I, so I he, think it he, should be more outside. Like I said before, Wait a minute. You just said, hold on a minute. Just, this is he, like the Twilight Zone. Charlie, you just said words that I believe were somewhat coherent that came out of your mouth in which you said <laughs> you want him to play more out of the slot. Now, John, That's read right, you the I stats. Do, John, read you the stats. More as a wide receiver. That's what a wide receiver does. I need Tylenol. You know, it's a mismatch. Look, no, it's Ingram, not a uh, Charlie. How is it a bigger? Was, how is it a bigger think, mismatch well, yeah, for Ingram yeah. again? No time out, time out. No, no, no. You listen to me now. Why? Okay, why okay. is it a bigger mismatch for him to try to run routes and catch balls against a cornerback than a linebacker? That's idiotic. That's stupid, because Charlie. He's That's what it is. Bigger than all the cornerbacks. You Charlie, give him a fifty-fifty ball. Charlie, come down with it. Who do you think? Who do you think wins? Charlie, who do you think wins in a foot race? Evan Ingram or a linebacker? Ingram is 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 fast. He ran a four four. But how many times is you do you see him covered by a linebacker? It's hardly ever. So what? I I just don't. So now you want the defensive coordinator to give the Giants their game plan about who they're going to line up with Evan Ingram so they could act. Accordingly, I, I, is I'm, that I'm, what you're alluding to? I say goodbye. What's that movie with uh, Adam Sandler the when they're debating on the stage? Is that the one where he goes back to school? Oh, that is, um, no, that is Billy Madison. Okay, Billy Madison, correct me if I'm wrong, there's the scene where he's <laughs> in the debate and the guy running the debate goes to whatever Adam Sandler just said that we're all dumber for having to listen through all yes, of what he just I, said. I, I, we, I, need yes. that, we need to put that in the system. And every time Charlie calls, I will highly recommend that we play that. See, I will get behind that. We could play that. There I won't was, play his intro. There was nothing in your rambling or incoherent yes. answer there you go. that even came close to resembling a rational response. Well said. Yes. All of us here <laughs> are dumber for having heard it. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind when he May was God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> yes, that's that an was, important that part. Was, that, yeah. was, that was about yeah. the quote, I right? think. There we go. And Charlie, yeah. look, we, you know, Charlie, we agree on a lot of stuff. You're a good caller. You know football. Well, I don't know about that, but anyway. We're, we're, yeah. we're, 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 we're just teasing you. I don't know about that either. But the but idea ahead. that Evan Ingram's a bigger mismatch against cornerbacks than against safeties or linebackers is silly. It's just silly. There isn't one coach in the NFL that will tell you that. When the Patriots tried to motion Rob Gronkowski outside, do you know why they did that? It wasn't to get him matched up against a cornerback. It was in the hope to catch opposing teams in man-to-man defense so a linebacker or safety follows him outside and they have him one-on-one because that's the bigger mismatch. If you don't want to believe me, that's your business. That's the facts. Lennon, Columbia, Maryland. He's up next. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. Wow, I'm following Charlie. It's yeah. usually the other way around. Well, you should be honored, Thank Len. You. you got such big <laughs> shoes to fill. The bar has been set very low for um, you, yeah. sir. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Sally Jenkins wrote a wonderful article this morning in the Washington Post, recommended reading, I hope Coach Marvin is listening, uh, having to do with minorities and the coordinator position uh, in, in the NFL, particularly on the offensive side. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really good. Okay, guys. we'll check it out. It's really good. Um, George Young, I'm, maybe I'm going to be the only one that's going to talk about George Young. Wow. Um, yeah, Paul's not here, so well that's deserved, why. <laughs> Well-deserved honor, m- many accomplishments. And, Lance, I'm, I'm right on with you in, in uh, you know, talking about it seems like all of the halls of fame in the major sports these days are really looking to the contributions that people have made to the franchise and to their league. And uh, George certainly fits in there. Let me Let me mention a couple of things that, to me, are the most important things that George did with us. You know, it's not the hiring of Parcells. That was important. Uh, this is going to come way down the list in a lot of people's mind, but these are the two most important to me. First, the first thing he did when he got here, he hired the most underrated coach in Giants history in Ray Perkins. Okay, fair. He had the foresight to do that. And within three years, Mr. Gettleman, listen closely, within three years, we were back in the playoffs. Perkins was a terrific coach, and you got to give credit. I mean, he was just an obscure coach with the San Diego Chargers. And George went out there and found him and brought him into the Giants. Well, major, major, major thing with the Giants. Well, you I'm hope sorry, Joe. Ju- no, I'm saying you hope Joe Judge fills that role now yeah. for Dave Gettleman. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Let's hope it. Uh, well, I hope it doesn't take. <laughs> I hope it doesn't take us three years. I don't well, know right. how much patience right. they've got. Yeah, that's, that fair. that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Secondly, secondly, and this is uh, isn't talked about very much, but 1984, maybe it was 85. I, th- I think more like 84. Uh, a businessman in New York named Donald Trump signed LT to a contract with the New York Generals. A big contract. USFL, by the way, LT, for the folks that LT don't know. was in uh, a little bit of a contract dispute with the Giants about how much money he was going to get paid, and George was smart enough to somehow uh, convince Mr. Trump to tear up that contract. Of course, it didn't come cheaply. He had to pay a lot of money to do it, but uh, listen, can you just imagine if LT hadn't been around from 85 to 91 or now, whatever Len, the exact now, year now, was now, he now, now, Len, obviously you remember this better than me, but George Young was no stranger to contract disputes with some of the best players on the team. <laughs> <laughs> he was no stranger to that, right? One of his, one of his, best, line, one of his best lines, John, it was, he, was often, he was asked one year, it was late in his tenure as general manager, it was asked why it takes the Giants so long to make an offer to the first-round draft choice. And George says, because if you make it too early, they're mad at you longer. <laughs> <laughs> so he waited. He waited till the last, till the last, second, the last yeah. week before training camp to send a contract. <laughs> oh, that's used funny. to drive the agent. Used to drive the agents crazy. <laughs> yep. But he was a great man. Well deserved honor. But those are two things I think. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're yeah. awfully important in the history of George Young and his accomplishment with the Giants, amongst other things too. I mean, really, really terrific. Um, John, uh, senior ball, I know you're going. I got my eye on three guys. Okay, lay them on me. What do you got? Uh, uh, Chase Claypool, the wide receiver from Notre Dame. He is on my I list. I have, yeah, he, he, I'm actually planning on watching him today, Len. I have not watched him yet. I think he's going to. I think he's he's just going to be outstanding. If he runs a good time at the combine, man, he's going to shoot up the charts. By the way, you know who I, I, I? The guy's a terrific player. Yeah, you know who the I watched from no, the the, the free safety, true free safety mm-hmm. from Notre Dame, Gilman. 
Okay. Uh, I think he's going to be a terrific pro. And the center from LSU, whose name I just can't pull back at this time, I want to say Stevenson, but I watched him again the other night. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a terrific center, not, uh, you know, not on a lot of people's lists. Hey, hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Len. Hi, Len. Appreciate I've, that. I've only watched, I watched two guys yesterday, two wide receivers. I watched uh, Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk, I think you pronounce the name, from Oklahoma State, a wide receiver. And I watched Michael Pittman who from USC, who it's funny, actually. He's coming out, and the name rang with me, and I realized well, why. Well, former NFL player. Well, no, By the not name that. Of Michael Pippen. Oh, yeah, I right. Well, that's why. Well, yeah, recognized. Michael Pippen was a former NFL player. I'm not yeah. sure if this is a son or not. I think the age difference would be too close, right? Well, I mean, Michael Pippen's Pippen, been out of the league for quite some time. Has he? Well, yeah. maybe you're right. Who knows? But I remembered the name because he was Sam Darnold's number one target when I watched all of Darnold's stuff two years ago when he came out in the draft, which is why the name kind of rang true for me. Scott, and I'm going to try to watch as many guys in the next three days as possible. Let's go to Scott, and if the Giants could hold off on hiring an OC so I can watch <laughs> all these college guys, that'd be great. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He wraps us up. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How you doing today? What's going on? All right, Scott. Uh, I, know, I know you're short on time, but just a brief defense of Evan Ingram. Everyone's expecting him to be like, a, as you mentioned earlier, a Kittle or a um, Kelsey or a Zach Ertz. Jimmy Graham's the guy you want to look at for him. Jimmy Graham, a little bit of a better blocking. Jimmy Graham in his prime is who you want to try to target right. for Evan Ingram. Well, I think he's getting an unfair rap because I think he's improved in his uh, blocking. Sure he has. And he's getting better, so if we can keep him on the field, he's the guy I'd like to keep at tight end if we, can, if we hold on to him. Yeah. But my main point is this, and I know you're short on time. I have a couple of points, but I'll just keep it to one. Uh, everyone's talking about the possibility of the Giants actually trading down as a potential. I want to take the contrarian view. Why don't the Giants trade up? Uh, with uh, Cincinnati, exchange first-round draft uh, picks, get Chase Young, which obviously the Bengals are not moving. If you want to talk about two or three, maybe we can have that conversation. The Bengals well, ain't no. moving. Why would? Because they're going to get the quarterback anyways because Washington <laughs> and Detroit are not going to take yes. quarterback. No, I don't think you could guarantee Scott, that, though. Scott, even if, even, if you, even if you have intel and you know okay. those two teams aren't taking a quarterback, another team yeah. can then trade up with them and take the quarterback before the Bengals. So let's not talk about the Bengals trading down. I'm making that a rule, okay? <laughs> We're going to start that right now today. Here's a rule. If you call up and say the, Bengals, the Giants should trade up to one with the Bengals, I'm going to hit drop on my little phone controls here and the call is going to be over. If you want to talk about pick two or no, three, I, I, we can John, have that conversation. You should have adopted that philosophy when Charlie called. Next year as well. You could Not offer them a million. You year. can offer them yeah. four first round picks. If they think Joe Burrow is their franchise quarterback, they're taking him. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I was just trying to get a clarification. I, was, I wasn't right. trying to argue with you. No, that's I was fine. just yeah. trying to see if there's a possibility yep. that might happen. Well, again, I, I think you could talk about two or three. I'm open to that. But I don't think okay. we can talk about number one. Well, and once okay. again, two and three is yeah. still a mystery because if somebody moves into those spots, correct. And I also would not rule out, you know, Matthew Stafford with his injury too. You j- you never know with these teams. Say what right. though? No, It'd I, be really I, I, gutty yeah. for Patricia to do that. It would be, wow. but I just once again, I would not rule anything out when it comes to the NFL. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah, and the other player that I hope the Giants could um, pursue in free agency is the defensive end from Jacksonville. Yannick uh, Ngakwe. Ngakwe, I think is his last uh, name. Ngakwe. Ngakwe, yeah. Ngakwe. He's a good player. Because uh, that's why I was thinking with Chase Young and Ngakwe, that's your, that's your pass rush, so to speak. And that's why I was trying to see if there's a way to actually make that happen. Remember, so there's no, guarantee, the I was there's no guarantee, Scott, that Chase Young goes number two. 
I mean, every year we and and, and thanks a lot for the conversation. Okay, I appreciate it. You. Good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Um, people just are like, oh, like last year, we talked about the draft for months. Not one person, or maybe a couple, made realistic arguments that Josh Allen would be there at number six. No one thought that was going to happen, right? Did anyone think Leonard Williams was going to drop to five or six the year the Jets drafted him? No. No. One guy drops every year. You don't know who it's going to be. You don't know why. What happens if Chase Young tears his meniscus in some kind of workout in two months? And that scares somebody off and he drops a couple. A million different things, Lance, can happen between now and the start of the draft. So well, let's not start, and I've been getting these tweets too, let's not start locking in on one player, whether it's Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons or whomever, that the Giants have to get at that spot no matter what, and you have to do whatever you can to get that one player. Let's not play that game in January, please. If you want to talk about that in April, fine. We got four months to talk about hundreds of players that are draft eligible. Let's not lock in on one guy now. Well, Cleland Farrell is another guy I would throw out in last year's draft that I think went much higher than most people projected. Yeah, you think? Okay, so that also was a curveball that I think shook things up. And to his status, John, is another guy that I think Huge could change question. this year's draft. I read something about how they're optimistic he may throw at some point in the spring before Ooh, the draft now. Really? I didn't see that. Yeah, okay. that, that came out and about today, if I read the headline correctly. I was going to obviously do more research with that later, but it appears as if, you know, if he's feeling healthy and he's going to throw, who knows? Maybe people now have a little bit more confidence in taking him higher than they anticipated. I think two is a wild card right now. And he so, could be a trade-up target for yeah, somebody. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, mm-hmm. penciling in guys, penning in guys now, I, I think really defeats the whole purpose because it's wasteful energy. I think it's more important to focus on the key players, you know, who's look good in college that could translate their skill set to the pros. And then, you know, let's see how the dominoes play out. And who's to say that a trade doesn't happen, too? You know, that all of a sudden, once again, happens before the draft, John, and we don't have to wait for draft day. We've seen some trades. The, the year, if memory serves me correct, with Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, you know, those deals were before the draft even happened. Both were, that's correct. In so, fact, I think the Eagles made two trades to move up, didn't yes, they? Yes, they did, yeah. They did incremental so, moves. We may have something that could impact spot three and spot four or whatever it may be. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, you have to keep in mind, and this is just a general philosophical standpoint for me, the only guy I'm willing to package picks for and move up for in a significant way. If you're moving up a couple spots for a mid or late round pick, whatever, you know, do what you got to do. That's fine. I'm not, I always like having as many picks as possible. That's my philosophy, but I understand that. But if you're going to trade monster top picks in future years, I'm doing that for a quarterback. Understandable. I don't think there's another position on the field that warrants that type of package because there's just no guarantee the player you're getting is, is going to be fantastic. There, there just isn't. That's the way the league works. So that's just my personal philosophy. Obviously, teams operate differently, and that's fine. I'm not saying I'm right. That's just the way I happen to view it. And so I would be very hesitant to trade future ones to move up to get a player that's not a quarterback. That's just me. Yeah, especially when the Giants realize the importance of those number one picks, too, in terms of retooling the roster. I don't know if... You know, Dave Gettleman is of the mindset that he wants to sacrifice that simply to go after, to your point, a defensive player, which is all really based on potential at the end of the day and far from a guarantee. Yeah, and obviously Joe Judge is not making these decisions, but he comes from New England. And what's been New England's modus operandi for years? It's Oh, they move down. Acquire picks and move down yeah. to acquire more. That's what they do. 
Yeah. So I don't know. Again, who knows if that's going to influence what happens here? I have no idea. No, but that is the background, which is relevant. Correct. So I'll just happen to bring that up. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. We'll see you tomorrow. Paul Dottino and Lance Meadow rejoin you on Big Blue Kickoff Live at noon. Have a good one.